In episode 454 with Tracy Gillett, we talk all things gentle parenting, self-care as a parent, and how to keep your marriage alive after babies, plus so much more. The following episode of The Melissa Ambrosini Show is ad-free and uninterrupted. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because I love all things conscious, gentle parenting, and we are diving deep into that today. And we also talk about parent guilt, comparisonitis, judgment, shame, all things conscious parenting, the importance of self-care as a parent and the power of tag teaming and how to keep your marriage alive post babies and way more. And for those of you that have never heard of Tracy, she is the founder, writer and advocate behind the award-winning blog Raised Good. I'm sure if you were a parent, you would have heard of Raised Good. It is a guide to natural parenting in the modern world. And with millions of readers worldwide, she educates and inspires women to reclaim the wonder of motherhood and the joy of childhood by parenting without the shoulds, expectations, and white noise of society. She is a wife and a boy mum, and her family enjoy traveling, being active, and spending as much time exploring the outdoors as possible. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 453. And you're going to want to head there because Tracy mentions so many incredible books in this episode. So now, without further ado, let's get this party started with the incredible Tracy Gillett. Welcome, Tracy. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Breakfast this morning, I had granola with some mango and strawberries and some yogurt, a bit of maple syrup on top because I'm in Canada. Yeah, maple syrup always. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I love following you on Instagram. You share so much. And you educate and you inspire women to reclaim the wonder of motherhood and the joy of childhood by parenting without the shoulds, the expectations, and the white noise of society. And I just love that so much. But how did you get into this work? What were you doing before this? It seems like another lifetime ago now before I was doing Raise Good. Yeah, so professionally, I was a veterinarian for many years. So I went to university near where you are. I went to UQ in Brisbane. And then I was a vet working in the UK and and Australia and New Zealand for about 10 years. And then I pivoted out of veterinary practice 
went into industry, but I really wanted to get pregnant and it took us a few years to fall pregnant. I've got endometriosis. And so I knew that that may have had an impact, but it took us a long time to fall pregnant. And in that time, I learned so much about natural fertility. I was having acupuncture like three times a week. My husband was going, we're taking all the herbs, doing hypnotherapy, all of these different things. And I thought, as soon as I fall pregnant, because I know it's going to happen, I want to share what I've learned with others. So I started to think about blogging. And so I thought that I would start a fertility blog, but pretty soon after I finally became pregnant, which was just the best thing ever, I went into the world of natural parenting and then became immersed in that. And so Raise Good was kind of born out of a passion to just want to share what I'd learned. But also when I became a new mum. I was exhausted like all new mums are. It's just no matter how prepared you think you are or no matter what people say, it just, it blindsides everybody, I think, motherhood. But I was just so happy. And I remember other mums saying to me, like, I'd be at mums groups. They'd be like, you are just, why are you so happy? Like, what's going on? And it was... I really felt that it was a lot of the practices that I was following, which I hadn't expected to follow. My midwife had introduced me to the idea of bed sharing. I had been reading books throughout pregnancy. I was really wanting to breastfeed. I learned about EC. I know you've had Andrea Olson on the podcast and all of these things that just took some things that I thought in parenthood would be a bit of a chore, you know, like diapers. And it just turned it into this really magical, like awesome thing. And it was the same with bed sharing and breastfeeding. And so I just wanted to share it. And it really became a new creative outlet for me, something that I had never really done before. I'd never written because I'd always been down that kind of science track. So it really became something that kind of, I found a new place in myself. And I love advocating for those that don't have a voice. And that was why I became a vet because I wanted to stand up for animals and save the animals and do all that stuff. And pretty quickly when I became a parent, I realized that babies didn't really have a voice and young children didn't really have a voice. And that many of the ways that we treat children are a bit outdated and not really respectful of children. Not that we're doing it consciously, but it's just so ingrained in our culture And I also realized that mothers and fathers, parents, caregivers that are following this path also didn't have a voice and that they are going against the mainstream and that that's a hard thing to do if you haven't done that before in your life. So that's kind of where it all started. And how old's your little boy now? He's eight. Wow. (laughs) Which I can't believe. It's like he was a baby yesterday. And then I talk to mums who have got like 23-year-olds and I'm like, yeah, I know it's going to go really fast. Like, yeah, it goes fast. I know. I have an almost one-year-old at the time of recording this and I literally feel like I gave birth three months ago. It just feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. It flies by and everyone tells you that it does. And But yeah. It's so bittersweet, isn't it? It's watching them grow and motherhood is that constant like holding them close and letting them go, like keeping them close and getting their independence and that push-pull. Yeah, it's bittersweet, but it's it's amazing. It, it only gets better. 
Mm, absolutely. Every day, every milestone, it's so exciting and truly is such a blessing to raise children. I had no idea I would love it as much as I love it. Like I knew I would love it, but you can't really have a tangible experience until you're in it. And it took us a while to get pregnant as well. And I think that definitely contributed to the gratitude levels that I have when I was feeding through the night and being woken up to feeding and all of those things, the diapers, all of that. It didn't matter because it had taken a while to get there and I was so grateful. That didn't mean I didn't feel tired. Absolutely. I felt tired, but it was covered with gratitude at the same time. And I think when it takes a little bit of time to get pregnant, that gratitude level is there. And people would say the same thing to me. How are you a new mom with a newborn and so happy? I'm like, because I wanted this so much. I truly wanted it so much. But when I became a mom, I had no idea how divided things were. You shouldn't co-sleep. You should breastfeed on demand. You shouldn't breastfeed on demand. You should do diapers. You should EC. Like there is so much. And I had no idea. And for the first time in my life, I felt very confused. I felt like I was a little bit out of touch with my intuition because I was listening to so much of the noise and forgot to come back to my intuition. And it wasn't until my husband said, honey, what is true for you? What feels good for you and intuitively for you and Bambi? And when he reminded me of that, it all became clear. But how do we mute this outside world of shoulds and expectations and the guilt? Guilt is not something I had felt a lot of until I became a mother. But how do we mute all of that in the parenting world today? How do we do it? Can you give us some practical tips? Yeah, I think it's it's a really hard question. And it's something that I'm still working on. I think there's so much to unpack in that question. And one of the ways that I'm trying to raise my son is that I love him for who he is, not what he does. But so many of us were raised in a culture where we were praised and rewarded for the things that we did. And we constantly get this external validation. And we're looking to others to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And that's no different when we become mothers or parents. And the stakes are so high, aren't they? Like we were saying, it took me a few years to get pregnant and I hoped that I would have two children and and I know that it's just one at this point. And so like, it's like the stakes are pretty high, aren't they? You want to get it right. And all parents want to do what is best for their kids. And I think that we need to keep that in mind. Everyone is always doing the best they can with the information, the resources and the support that they have at the time. If I had been a mother 10 years previously, my motherhood journey could look different just because of circumstances. So I think really trying to block out that need for external validation, which is really hard and looking internally to what feels right for you. I think trying to get into our bodies as much as we can out of our minds. I'm always in my mind, like thinking too much and we really need to get into our bodies so that we can start to feel our intuition again. I know that 
My friend Pinky McKay in Australia, she likes to ask three questions when you're trying to make a parenting decision, which is, is it safe? Is it respectful? And does it feel right? And I think so much we've lost that idea of what feels right, that it's okay to just feel right. We don't need some peer-reviewed journal article or collection thereof to make a decision about what we do in our parenting. So I think that's really important. One of the biggest tools that I use in my parenting is just curiosity. So just getting really curious about why we do things. Like I know that you've had Andrea on talking about EC. And I remember when I was pregnant and I started to look at, you know, what was I going to do for diapers? I want to do, will I do cloth or will I do disposable diapers? And then you go a layer deeper and realize that the question might be actually, do I even need diapers? And we did use diapers. We did EC, but we, we used diapers as backup. But always asking more and asking, where have I got this idea from that children need to be in diapers or that babies need to be in a crib? Where has that idea come from? Where did that originate? And it can, it is a lot of work. Like it would be far easier to just follow the mainstream, to just follow that narrative and just do what everyone else is doing. It is the harder way to go, but I think it's, it's certainly worth it. A lot of boundary work, I think, is is required when you become a parent or when you become anyone who's wanting to do something different to the mainstream. I became vegetarian when I was 13 and my grandfather in Australia, he was a farmer and he owned two butcher shops in the small town that I was in. So it did not go down well when I suddenly decided I'm not eating meat anymore. And so it was constant for years. I go up and say, are you out of that phase yet? You know, are you done yet? Like, And it becomes trying to connect with the other on like, you know, he loved animals, I loved animals and saying like, this is how I'm showing it or this is what it means for me. And I think with other parents as well, it's like we're sort of doing half homeschool, half, half school I can connect with other parents who are doing all school or are doing homeschool, who are unschooling, world schooling. I think it's just we've become a culture where we're just fed information through our Google feeds or through social media that just meets our reality and just reinforces that worldview that we already have. Instead of looking at there are so many different ways to do things and we don't have to do it the same as everybody else. But it's it's hard. I think it's like getting to, when I was talking about getting to hold boundaries, you know, we talk a lot about with, comes up with toddlers, you know, how do you hold a boundary with a toddler and hold limits? And I think it's far harder to hold boundaries with other adults and to just say like, this is me and this is who I am and this is how I'm doing it for these reasons. And if you want to talk more about it, we can, but I'm not really up for like you trying to coerce me into doing something different. So yeah, it's hard but it's, it's worth it. A hundred percent. There's so much that I want to unpack with what you've just shared, but let's just talk about the boundaries for a moment. If we can do this in our parenting, it kind of ripples out into every area of our life. If we can follow our intuition in parenting, if we can set boundaries in our parenting, then we're going to do that in all of the other areas and it's just going to benefit every area of our life. So I just wanted to talk about boundaries for a moment because when you go against the common narrative that we have been told, it can bring up stuff for other people, but you can set healthy and loving boundaries 
from that place of love, what we're saying is, is you don't have to go and say, this is how I'm doing it and this is how I'm parenting and grandparents, you're not allowed to come over and aunties, if you're going to do that, you know, we don't have to do it like that. We can do it in a very loving way. For example, I literally did this yesterday and I just want to share this example because my daughter's first birthday is coming up soon and my mom, her love language is gifts. She loves gifts. She loves to spoil anyone with gifts. That's not really, I try and live a very minimal life. We don't like to overconsume. We're more about quality over quantity when it comes to gifts and things like that. We also, with my 16-year-old stepson, we do experiences instead of gifts. So little things like that, which is really important to my husband and I and to our family. And so I just had to have a conversation, a very open and loving conversation with my mom about Bambi's upcoming birthday and what did she have in mind? And well, she said, I'd love to get her some things and some new toys. And I said, okay. And she said, I know that you like toxic free and wooden toys and things like that. So can you give me a list of websites where I can get them from? And I said, absolutely. I can give you a list. And so I gave her a list of some really great websites where she can grab some things. And then I said, oh, mom, another thing that we're going to need to think about is wrapping the presents, you know, like I don't really want lots of paper and sticky tape and all of this stuff. We really want to limit our footprint on this earth. And she's like, okay, well, what can we do? And I said, oh, you know, you can wrap them in cloths and use things you've got around the house. And she was like, oh, I had no idea. And I sent her some Pinterest images and she was like, wow, this is so beautiful. This looks so amazing. And you can stick some flowers in the top. And it was just such a beautiful thing. But my mom had never been exposed to this. And so having this loving conversation with her and just setting the expectation and the boundary for her first birthday, I just wanted to do it now because I didn't want to just not say anything because I didn't want to rock the boat. I thought to myself, I could not say anything because I'm don't want to upset her, or I could speak lovingly from my heart and put up a little boundary. And she was so open and she received it with so much love, which is really, really beautiful. So I want to encourage everyone to set some healthy boundaries. And you might hear my little daughter in the background. She's just playing with her nanny, but if you can hear her, that's her downstairs. But yeah, set some healthy boundaries in your parenting because it's really going to make your journey a lot more easeful and graceful. And you can do it from that place of love. You don't have to be rude or strict with it. You can just set up a loving boundary. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I love that you did that with your mom. And yeah, I've been through the same with with my mom. She Her love language is, is gifts. And I didn't set the boundary as early as you did. So I think that's awesome that you did that. But I've had I've had similar conversations with my mum where I've really had to say, you know, what the it's having those conversations at a time that is separate from when the thing is happening. Like you've got to choose it at a time when the other person's defenses are down and really approaching it from from the perspective of like with our son, I just said like it it just gets too overwhelming for him. He's a highly sensitive little boy. If there's so many things coming in at once, like it's not it's not healthy for him. And and so she fully understood that. And then it's trying to work with with the other person, like with your mum, 
she's working hard to get wooden toys and you know, wrap them in cloths and all that kind of stuff, meeting their needs as well. I think it's about trying to meet everyone's needs, but being open to the fact that it might be changing because it, it is hard to break cycles. It's really hard. And so we can often just shy away from it and go, oh, it's too hard. I'll just go along with it. And maybe sometimes you do have to go along with stuff every now and then, but yeah, figuring out what your big lines are that you're not willing to cross, I think, when it comes to your child. Absolutely. And I love that meeting everyone's needs. How can we meet everyone's needs? And I often say this in our family. So how can my needs get met, Bambi's needs get met, Nick's needs get met, and my 16-year-old stepson's needs get met? How can everyone's needs get met? And often we have to sit down and go, okay, well, you want to do this and I want to do that. And how can we make it work for everyone? And then same with these boundaries as well. It's really important. And yes, my mum is trying really hard to go and do all of these things. And it was really beautiful that she was so open to it and still letting her give because that's her love language, but just doing it in a way that is a little bit more aligned with our beliefs and our philosophy. It's really important that we set those boundaries and as early as we can do it. And like you said, not when it's in the heat of the moment. It's always best to do it in another time. And another time recently, she came over and she does a lot of the good girl. Oh, good girl, good girl, good girl. Oh, good girl, good girl. Literally, if I had a dollar for every time she said good girl in one day, I'd be a millionaire. And so when it was not in the heat of the moment and we were just driving somewhere together, I just had a conversation with her about good girl, good girl and bad girl and naughty girl. I had a conversation with her about that. And she said, oh, I know, Melissa, I'm so sorry. I know you've mentioned this to me before. I just forgot. And I'm so sorry. It's just so deeply ingrained in me. And I can't help it almost just slips out. But she goes, I don't know what else to say. And I said, okay, well, let's brainstorm some other words. And so I said, oh, instead of saying good girl, you could just acknowledge what she's doing. Like you stood up or something like that. You could just do something like, oh, you did a poo in the potty. You could just acknowledge what she's done or that must feel good that you completed that on your own or whatever it is. And she was like, oh, oh yeah. And I explained to her why we do that and why you don't want to keep doing the good girls and things like that, because then they'll look to you for that recognition. And she was like, I know you're so right, Melissa. That's just what we did. And she was so open and loving and beautiful about it, but I didn't do it in the heat of the moment. And I think that's a really important key takeaway here to not do it in the heat of the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And that good girl thing, you know, that comes back to what we were talking about earlier is just that external validation, isn't it? We're still looking for that good girl and that gold star and all those things that that we're parenting the way that other people expect us to. And so it's letting go of that and realizing we're not going to get told we're a good girl when we're doing things our own way. And we're going to get internal validation. We're going to get validation within our own families and you get it back from your child rather than from other people. Absolutely. Talk to me about comparison. I wrote a book called Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy. But in the parenting world, comparison is rife. How can we put our horse blinders on and stay in our own lane when it comes to comparison and not look at left and right and see what everyone else is doing and the milestone their babies are reaching. 
how do you do it and how can we do it? Well, I think I was lucky. Yeah, my son's eight now and I wasn't on social media at all. Like I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have Instagram before I started Raise Good. I only have it now for my business. I'm not on there personally. And I, my advice would be, I'm telling people to get off, get off my own Instagram, but to try to take in social media in a healthy way. And if you can't take it in in a healthy way, then get off it. And you know, a huge realization that what we see on social media is not real, particularly what we see on Instagram. What you see on my Instagram feed, that's not my life. That's not how things look for me. Because, you know, for me personally, it's because I want to keep what I'm doing is that that I want to share about my motherhood and my experience of that, but I don't want to be, it's not my son's childhood to share. That's not my right to share his childhood. So I think yeah, social media has got a big part to play in this comparison stuff. I think it can be quite toxic. So following people that will inspire you and realizing that we don't have to agree with everything that everyone says. Like there's probably not one parenting expert that I follow that I agree with 100%. So realizing that, but how to how to stop the comparison, I just stopped I didn't pay attention to any of the numbers. I think when I was in vet practice, I remember we had this saying that was when we were monitoring an anesthetic, it was like, don't monitor the monitor, like don't monitor what the monitor is saying the heart rate is or what the breathing is, like monitor the patient in front of you. And so I think that's what I've always done with with my son is just to look at the child in front of you. Are they happy? Are they growing? Are they full of life? It doesn't matter what other people say they're children are sleeping or not sleeping. They're probably lying. (laughs) Like most parents lie about how much their babies sleep because they think all the other babies are sleeping or because they don't know that their children are waking up and they're sleeping through the night themselves. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a really hard one. I still compare myself to others, but again, it's kind of like with having boundaries for yourself. It's saying like, The society that we're living in now, like the brains that we have were really built for 10,000 years ago. They haven't changed, but everything in our society has changed. It's sped up. There's hardly a moment to just get downtime and to just have a direct experience with yourself. And so I think we kind of have to have boundaries for ourselves and say, I am going to protect myself. And if my mind is going to go there, I'm going to have to put up a boundary to stop that. So meditation and all stuff like that can help. But yeah, I don't know if that answered it. It's a really hard question to stop the comparison. Mm, I think setting healthy boundaries for yourself and being aware of how you feel when you're on social media, if you notice yourself start to spiral into that comparisonitis, then that's a good indicator that you might want to jump off it and go do something to fill yourself up. And I've got lots of strategies and tips and tricks in my book. I've got a whole chapter on social media comparison. So check that out. And I think it's really important that we just stay in our own lane. We stay in our own lane and coming back to what we were saying about trusting our intuition and one of my girlfriends said to me very early on in my newborn phase, I said, oh, but so-and-so did this. And she said, Melissa, is she happy and healthy? 
And I said, yeah, she's happy and she's healthy. She's sleeping. She's happy. And she said, that's all that matters. And if she wasn't happy and healthy, you would know about it. She would be screaming the house down. And I said, okay, all right. Because I was like, is she getting enough food? How do I know if I'm feeding her enough? Is she getting enough milk? And my friend Belinda just said to me, babe, she will let you know if she's not getting enough milk. She will be screaming the house down. So that was a really beautiful reminder for me to just look at the child, like you said. And so often I just look at Bambi and if I ever am looking outside of myself and I just ask myself, is she happy and healthy? Is the answer yes and yes, then that's all that matters. Yeah, it's all that matters. And I think, you know, talking about your mum earlier, I th- I think this is where it's good for us to be able to talk to older generations of parents who didn't have these phones and apps and all this stuff where we can measure everything. Just because you can measure something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Like, doesn't mean that you need to. And that's one of the reasons why I love following people like Pinky McKay, because she just gives it to you straight. And she parented in a time where all of these things weren't measured, where you weren't worrying about all of these little tiny things that don't matter in the end and are stealing the joy out of the moment. You want to put your connection with your baby first, your connection with your child first. And if you're just off in your mind worrying about all these things, are you doing it perfectly? Then you're missing what's happening right in front of you. And I know like eight years have gone past like that. So I think it's really getting clear priorities and prioritizing connection and being in the moment. And and like you say, if your child is happy and healthy, then don't worry about all that other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And now more than ever, we're measuring everything. We're measuring our sleep. We're measuring our steps. We're measuring our food intake, like measure, measure, measure. And yeah, our parents didn't have the devices to do that. So just let go of the numbers and look at the evidence, the child that is right in front of you and base your judgment off that. Absolutely. Okay, ultimately, we want to raise confident, well-adjusted, secure, happy, healthy children. How do we do that? Well, they say that I created a course on attachment because I was looking at, I did a summit and every speaker that I spoke to, attachment just came up over and over and over again. And They say that the biggest predictor of how any child will turn out is whether or not they've got a secure attachment with at least one caring adult. That's the biggest predictor. Dr. Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson talk a lot about that. So I think in early childhood, one of the most important things that we can do is to ensure that our children have a secure attachment with us. And so that means that we are responsive to them, that when they speak, we listen, that we believe what their needs are, that we're not looking to the external world to tell us that their needs don't matter, that we can just leave them to cry, that it doesn't matter. So really listening to what what our children are telling us, building connection with our children as much as possible, follow gentle parenting. It's got lots of different names, you know, gentle parenting, positive parenting, natural parenting, which is really about seeing the child in front of us and about holding limits with compassion, being soft and firm at the same time, holding space for big emotions, because when we do start to hold limits, they can have big emotions about that and that's okay. So holding space for emotions, coaching them with their emotions so that they can start to understand them and know how to deal with them. 
a lot of modeling. So gentle parenting is about modeling the behaviors that we want to see, not about just dictating what those behaviors are that we want to see. So for example, I have a post that I shared, which is why I'll never teach my son manners. And of course that attracts attention because it sounds controversial, but yeah, I would never say to my son, like, say please, say thank you. What's the magic word? Because would we ever say that to an adult? So it's questioning whether or not that would sound respectful to an adult. And if it wouldn't sound respectful to an adult, then we wouldn't say those things to a kid. So how do we teach manners to our children? We do it by modeling. They copy everything that we do. So I think having a child is also a huge reminder of how to be a better person than you were before you became a parent. You're suddenly aware that, oh, shoot, I'm not using my manners. And so really using those and teaching the child through modeling. So there's some of the things. I think attachment is really important. Emotion coaching, connection, modeling what we want to see and being willing to have an authentic relationship with your child because all parenting is, is just a relationship. It's a very unique relationship, but it's just a relationship nonetheless. So being willing to let your child see your imperfect self so that they can connect with that. It's very hard to connect with something that's perfect. I sometimes like to use the analogy of if you were trying to climb a rock wall and if it was completely smooth and perfect, then you can't grip onto it. You can't climb up. You need those cracks and crevices, those imperfections to cling onto and to, and to climb that wall. So yeah, giving your child moments of connection as much as possible. I love that. In the Steiner philosophy, they say, is my behavior worthy of imitation? Because like you said about modeling, they copy everything we do. And it's so interesting because even when I first had Bambi, when she got a bit older, I noticed myself slipping into the please and thank you. And I was like, this feels so gross. And why am I even doing it? It felt like it wasn't my true self. And so, yeah, I stopped. And then when she passes me something, I just say, thank you, darling. Or I say, can mommy please have that? Things like that. Modeling. And when I read in this Steiner book about worthy of imitation, it really hit home for me because I truly believe that parenting is the best personal development you can do because it makes you look at yourself so much. And every single action and word that comes out of my mouth, I go, hmm, is that worthy of imitation? Do I want my daughter to do that? And in Steiner, they even say, do you pick up the toys and throw them in the box? Or do you like pick up the dolls and you place them in the box and you take care? There's sometimes there's moments where I'm like, I'll like kick something to get it out of the room, like kick it. And then I'm like, oh, she's watching that. And then she might kick one of her toys. And then later down the track, I might be like, don't kick your toy. And I'm like, but she just watched me kick the diaper out of the bedroom. So it's really made me look at everything and not in a stressful way. It's making me the best version of myself. So I want to encourage everyone listening to tune in and ask yourself, is your behavior, your words or your actions worthy of imitation? Because monkey see, monkey do. They are copying everything that we do. They sure are. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, that, and I think you're right. That is one of the reasons why it's 
parenting is such an opportunity to grow ourselves. But like you say, it's not about ever, it's not about ever even trying to strive for perfection. It's about just being on the journey and kind of laughing at yourself. <laughs> like It just highlights some of the habits that we've got into that we don't realize. Totally. Yeah. And as well, like my son now will pull me up on things because I'll say to him, you know, we don't use threats in our house, like, or we, we don't this, and I'll explain to him why we do certain things. But so then if, if I say something, if I slip and it's, and it sounds like a threat, then he'll say that to, he'll be like, we don't do threats in our house. We don't do this. That didn't feel good to me, mom. That didn't feel nice how you spoke to me. And when they start to do that, you're like, yeah, I've, I'm getting something right here. Because ultimately we want them to be able to go out into the world and to be confident and to be able to hold their own boundaries and to know that they deserve to be treated well in the world by other people. And we're kind of like their practice run for all of that stuff. Their relationship with us is where they get to practice all of these things. Mm, Absolutely. So beautiful. You have an ebook called The Five Natural Parenting Secrets That Make Kids Want to Cooperate Without Using Timeouts, Threats, or Punishment. What are those five secrets? Well, they're, it's sort of one big secret, which is just connection. So Pam Leo has a wonderful quote, which I won't say properly, but it's, it's something along the lines of the level of cooperation that we're getting from our kids is equal to the level of connection that they're feeling with us. And I read her book, Connection Parenting, when my son was about two, I think, for the first time. And it really stuck with me that connection is just so important. And whenever I saw that things weren't going well with my son, I realized I need to bank some connection here because we're misattuned somehow or I haven't been giving him my attention so the ebook is really all about just different ways that you can build connection with your child. So one of them is special time. So special time is all about, it can be five minutes, 10 minutes, half an hour, whatever the amount of time is that you can dedicate to your child. But I would say at least 10 minutes where you just give them your full attention. The phone has gone away and you do whatever they want to do for that 10 minutes. So you are fully present for them and they're getting their special time. So building that into into your days, whether that's every day, if there's multiple kids, then maybe it's every couple of days. However often you can do that, it can just really help to build connection. So that's one of them. Another one is getting into the habit of apologizing. So we're going to mess up all the time and we need to know that we don't need to be sitting on any kind of parenting pedestal. We can just admit when we get things wrong and apologize for that. And I think it goes a long way. It's part of modeling as well. So it goes a long way when there is a rupture in the relationship, just to say to the child, I am, I am so sorry for how I just spoke to you. I know that it must have made you Made, did it make you feel a little bit scared? And I really apologize for that. And I'm going to work on that and do better next time. And no, like, I'm sorry I did that, but it was just because you, you know, threw your toy across the room, really owning it and apologizing. So I think that can really help to build connection. So getting into that habit, Elfie Cohn talks about that in Unconditional Parenting, which is one of my favorite books as well. 
And then another one is play. Play is the language of children. So playing with your kids as much as possible, being playful with your kids. So another great book is Playful Parenting by Lawrence Cohen. And just being as playful as you can with your kids can just really help to build cooperation. Like I was out with my son yesterday. We had to go and find some soccer cleats. He's he's going to start playing soccer next week. And I went into the store to, went to where we thought we needed to go. We got the ferry. We went over, went to the store, none of that size. My husband's calling the other store in the city. Okay, we're going to drive to the city now. And then we've got to park a distance away. We've got to walk five blocks to get there. And I know that my son, he needs the soccer stuff and he wants to do that, but he doesn't want to walk five blocks. I don't want to walk five blocks in the middle of the city. And so we just made it fun. And so we were just running through the city and like, let's dodge these people and let's go this way and that way. And we'll pretend that something's chasing us. And as we were running, a guy was running towards us. Then he started playing as well. He was like, whoa, is there something coming? I'm going to run the other way. And he got (laughs) in on it. So I think playfulness is contagious and it doesn't have a time limit of childhood. So being as playful as you can with your kids. Another one is touch. So positive touch. So this is especially for babies and toddlers, just baby wearing, touching, playing, roughhousing, bed sharing, just builds connection so well and and can lead to cooperation when you need it. And then the last one I had was just to be a strong leader, which is kind of what we've talked about. So with gentle parenting, it's not about being permissive. It's about being in charge, but not about being in control. So we can never control another person and we should never try to, but our children do need us to be in charge. They're just little people in the world who need to know that they've got a strong adult who's going to take care of them. So being that strong leader for them, I think is really important and can help to build connection as well. So yeah, they're the five things that are that are in that little guide. Really beautiful. I love those so much. Thank you so much. And you've recommended so many amazing books, which we will link to in the show notes, as well as your incredible eBooks. And I've done one of your summits, which is unbelievable. So thank you for putting those together. And we've mentioned the word perfect a few times, and I just want to encourage everyone listening that there is no such thing. And the quicker you can delete that word from your parenting journey and your vocabulary, it's going to be a lot more pleasant for you and your experience with your parenting journey. Instead of striving for this quote-unquote unrealistic ideal of perfection because of what everyone does on Instagram, just come back to what feels right and true for you and look at your child. Like we said before, look at your child and are they happy and are they healthy? That is your barometer if you're on the right path. And I love that you said when we stuff up or when we slip up, whatever you want to call it, apologize. There's so many parenting books that I've read that just say, apologize, get off your high horse. I know a lot of people that are too proud to apologize to their children, but by simply apologizing, you're also teaching them how to apologize to others when they slip up. So I love that. And something that I've done since having Bambi and my stepson is do that. I've done that. I've apologized when I needed to 
But sometimes I then carry that guilt and it doesn't feel good. What is your recommendation for quickly letting go of that mama guilt? Because we know it doesn't serve us. It does not serve us one bit to hold on to that. So how do you quickly let go of that mama guilt so that we can come back to the present moment and move forward with our day? I think I'd like to say two things here. Realizing that whenever there's a rupture in the relationship, when you mess up, when you yell, when you are acting out of alignment with your parenting values, just to realize that you're human and you can't always do it exactly how you want to, but you're providing a wonderful opportunity to show your child that the relationship can handle it, that the relationship can handle mess ups and that life isn't perfect. They're going to go out into the world and experience relationships that are going to have ruptures in them where things are going to, where things are going to mess up. And so you want them to know that we can mess up and that we can still be okay. So rupture and repair is part of a normal, healthy relationship. So yeah, just don't feel bad about it. And a little bit like what you were talking about before, when you were saying to your, when your mum was saying, good girl, and you were saying, well, what can I do? And just say, just observe what happened. And the same with yourself. Sometimes when I mess up, I'm like, you feel so bad because you can see that you've hurt your child. You can see that you've hurt their feelings, that they're upset, but taking a moment away and just talking, just having a little conversation with yourself about what just happened and saying, well, I didn't get enough. I haven't had enough sleep for however long. I haven't eaten. I'm really stressed. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And then on excuses, it's trying to identify like, where do I need to take care of myself? Where have I neglected myself? Because mums are very good at putting themselves to the bottom of the pile, <laughs> putting, the, putting their needs to the bottom of the list and taking care of everybody else first. So realizing that you need to look after yourself so that it doesn't continue to happen, just problem solving. So it's a bit like when you apologize, what comes next? It's often problem solving. So doing that for yourself and just figuring out, well, how can I, how can I turn this into something positive and help myself so that it doesn't continue to happen? So that's one of them. And then I took a course by Gordon Neufeld last year and he had a section in there about guilt. And he talks a lot about being in sort of this alpha role of parenting and which is sort of just about being in charge, that you're in that position of caring for your child for a very long time. They're so immature when they're born. Their brains are so, their their brains are only 25% developed when they're born. They've got so much maturation to do. They do a huge amount in the first three years, still a huge amount in the first six years, and and they're still not fully developed until they're in their mid-20s. They're so dependent on us. And to be needed in that way is a huge responsibility. And with that responsibility comes guilt. And I remember Gordon Neufeld just saying, that is just part of the job. Like that is guilt territory. When you're fully responsible for somebody else and you can't get it right all the time because you're human, then there's going to be guilt that comes along with it. And I remember him explaining that. And and then when I felt guilt the next time, I was like, huh, that's fine. That's just because I'm in charge here. And that just comes with the territory. So it's, it's different to shame. We don't want to be feeling shame for things, but guilt is kind of part of the territory of being a parent that's in charge. And 
you've just got to say, huh, I felt a little bit of guilt then. You don't have to take it on. And then you can just feel it and then you can just let it go and go on with your day. Problem solve what happened and and move on. But yeah, don't hold on to it. It's not serving anybody. And I think the other thing is to realize sometimes, you know, like you can see things. I ended up having a cesarean birth after wanting a natural birth and doing everything that I could. Anyway, now when I, I'll see a blog post that's like the 10 benefits of natural birth, and I write about things like this. I write about why the benefits of bed sharing or the benefits of this or that. And people will message me on Instagram or whatever. You're making me feel guilty because I'm not doing that thing. And it's about realizing like not everything is about us. And also you made the best decision that you could at the time. And what your child needs now, my child now doesn't need me to be thinking, gosh, I wish that I would have had a natural birth and feeling guilty and like living in the past and worrying about all that stuff. What he needs now is a mother who's present in the moment. So even if that happened 10 minutes ago or an hour ago or whatever the thing is that you're feeling guilty about, move into the present moment and be there because your child needs you right now. Children move on very quickly from things. I know. It's such a beautiful gift and quality that they have. Their ability to let things go and move on is just so beautiful. We could learn a lot from them. And I think when it comes to guilt, it's also an indicator that you're an amazing parent because you care. It shows that you care and you want to be the best parent that you can be. So I also think it's a really good indicator that you care and that you want the best for your child. So let it go as quickly as you can and take a page out of your child's book because they're very, very good at that. But something that you spoke about was often us mamas and papas too, we are very good at putting other people first and putting us at the bottom of our to-do list. Now, self-care for everyone, especially us mamas when we're breastfeeding and waking up in the night, it's so important. And I know for me, it is essential so that I can show up as the best mama, the best wife, the best friend that I can be. How can we make self-care a priority so that we are full, so that we are showing up as the best version of ourselves? I hear it all the time. I get, Melissa, I don't have time make time for yourselves. But what are your thoughts on self-care and filling ourselves up? Well, I think like we talked about, it's it's always good to have a strong why. I think with with everything in, in life and in, in parenting, you want to have that strong why first, and then you'll, then you'll figure out the how. So we talked about mums especially are pretty good at doing things for their kids. And sometimes it is a matter of that we'll, we'll do it for our kids, but we won't do it for ourselves. So saying, well, I, I need to do self-care so that I can show up for my child and so that I can not feel guilty about me- all the mess ups that I've been having because I've had no time to myself. So having a strong why and understanding that it is really important and that you are deserving of it, that you are worthy of it, that you are just as worthy of it as everybody else in your family, I think is is one of the first things. And then how I think that really it's different for everybody. For me, it's that I really need to get out even just for a short walk every day on my own. 
And it's still taken me a lot of time to be able to have like strong boundaries around that and to not feel guilty about going for a walk when there's not so much time and saying to my husband, you know, I need it for my mental health. Like I need to go for a walk. So when we talk about, you know, you talked about your mum a bit, bringing in other people and saying like, I need you to help so that I can look after myself, you know, getting some time out. If you do have people that can help, we don't have any family here on this side of the world. So I've found that hard at times. And sometimes you have to do self-care with your child there as well. So my husband used to travel a lot before COVID. So I would be home parenting on my own for a couple of weeks at a time. And so there was no getting away and going for a walk on my own. So I'd be like, well, how am I going to do this? Well, my son's going to watch some Curious George and I'm going to jump on the rebounder and listen to a podcast or do something. Or after he's asleep, I'm going to do something like figuring out how you can get your needs met while meeting your child's needs can be one way of, of doing it. That's some of the advice that I give on, on trying to find self-care, but it is really important that mums do it. And get creative. Like you said, find these little pockets when they sleep during the day. If they do still sleep during the day, that's a good opportunity. I know it's very tempting to do work if you are working or do housework. But if you can just allocate 10 minutes of that slot just to sit and breathe or have a shower or jump on the rebounder, like you said, just allocate little pockets of time during the day when they sleep or if they don't sleep during the day, wait till they go to bed at night or get up earlier in the morning. Get up five minutes before they usually get up and sit up in your bed and meditate. Find these little pockets, get creative. And if you do have support from your mother or your mother-in-law or a friend for 15, 20 minutes so you can do something, do that. We often tag team. Yesterday, when she slept, she has an hour and a half sleep in the afternoon. So I was here and he went for a surf. And then sometimes he'll stay here while she's sleeping and I'll go to the beach and have a swim and take some time for me. So I love that we can do that and tag team so that we're both getting filled up and our needs are getting met. Yeah, a lot, a lot of tag teaming for sure. We're the same. We're the same. <laughs> it's hard. And then you're like, when do I get to see my partner? What's yeah it's a hard time like acknowledging that and community too like if you can get together with some other friends that have got kids and then the kids can play and you can just have a little bit of time adult time yeah it's hard well yesterday Bambi's almost one yesterday was the first day we had a date in almost a year so we went out for just over an hour it was about an hour and 20 minutes And we went and had lunch together and she stayed with her nanny and they went to the park and they played and she had lunch and she had the best time. She was waving to me as I left, which we've never left her by herself with the nanny ever. And it was so big for me. And we were just down the street. We were not far at all. And my phone was on and it was really big for me to do this. And I thought, oh, how's she going to go? And she was waving to me as I was driving out. I said, I love you. And I was blowing kisses and she's waving and she's having a ball. And our nanny was like, she was perfect. She was happy. She just played, which was so beautiful. And then we got home, we got to have lots of cuddles. But taking that time, I wrote a blog post called The Two Marriage Savers that have saved our marriage in this first year of parenthood. And one of them has been only something we've recently started doing, and that is doing weekly dates. 
And most of the time we'll do it in her hour and a half sleep. So last week we had a private salsa class in our garage whilst Bambi was sleeping in her afternoon sleep. And yeah, we're just going to do different things each week. So one week it's my turn to organize something and then the next week it's Nick's turn and we alternate and it's just something really beautiful that we started doing this last month and it's been really nice. Yesterday as we sat down at lunch, I went, oh, hi, husband. Hi. It's been a while. I love you. You are so handsome. And he was just laughing and I was like, no, no, I actually see you. Because I, of course, I see him and we have these moments, but there's so much of during the day of that you're just moving through and you're just in the doing, but to actually stop and take some time out of your day for each other. Quality time is one of my love languages. And just to do that for an hour and 15 minutes together was so beautiful. So that was one of them. The other marriage saver that has really been powerful for us over the past couple of months has been scheduling in lovemaking time because with a baby, we were just noticing that it just wasn't happening because in the evening, I'm like, see ya, good night. And I read two pages of my book and I'm out. My eyes are closed. And so in the nighttime, it's just, yeah, I'm out. And so we realized, okay, well, (laughs) we can't do it at nighttime. We've got to get creative. When are we going to spend time intimately together. And so we worked out how many times a week would we ideally both like to do that? And when is it going to suit us? Is it in her second sleep? My husband works from home. So we have that option, which is really amazing. Or is it in the morning? Is it on the weekends? When do I have Pilates? When do I have yoga? All sorts of things. And it's really, I know it takes out a bit of the spontaneity in your intimate life, but it's been powerful for us especially with a new baby. It's been really powerful. And I have had so many people say to me, oh my gosh, we have not made love for so long and we started scheduling it and it has changed everything for us. So check out that blog post. I'll link to it in the show notes if anyone's interested. That's awesome. Both of those tips are fantastic. And yeah, I know what you mean by the idea of it taking out the spontaneity of it, but it can add another element to it as well, isn't it? I've got this to look forward to. Yeah. And if we're relying on spontaneity, then it's probably not going to happen. Totally. And it actually, it's brought a lot of play to it because we're like, oh, it's our lovemaking time. Like we know. We're like, oh, this is our special time. Because I know I'm like, oh, I'm going to put on something nice or, you know, just little things. So it actually brings a level of play and fun to it as well. So you can look at it however you want to look at it, but I think just looking at it is really important. Yeah. And I I think just realizing how challenging it is for a marriage when a baby comes along. I think I had no idea of what an impact it would have. And yeah, it can have a huge impact. I think especially when you're parenting in this way as well, I would say compared to mainstream, you know, if you're bed sharing and breastfeeding, all of those things, so much of that comes down to the mum. And I think the dad can feel very left out and it can be really challenging for a marriage. So I think what you're doing, you know, sort of being very proactive about maintaining your marriage is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so important to me. He's my soulmate, the love of my life. And I don't want that to fall by the wayside. I don't want that to erode. 
So I want to invest and water and nurture and love that relationship because the more we give to it, the more it's going to grow and flourish, like with all of our relationships, including our relationship with our kids as well. Absolutely. Okay. What is your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? My success personally or or as a parent? As a parent. As a parent? My definition of success would just be, I'm going to use the wrong word, measured, because I don't mean to measure it, but would be measured just in the relationship that I have with my son, that he completely trusts me, that my love for him is unconditional, and that he feels that. You know, we talk so much about, obviously, we all love our kids just as much, but what matters is whether they feel that. And so we talked about earlier about loving them for who they are, not what they do. And it's all about looking beneath the behavior and really seeing them. So it would be about him feeling that unconditional love and him knowing that he is always accepted no matter what, that that's not even a question in our house, that he feels like he belongs and that in years from now, when he leaves home, that he wants to come back and (laughs) spend time with his mom, that I've done a good job in that regard, that we just have that connection. Yeah. That, that lasts a lifetime. I think it's, yeah, really just whether he's, I I don't even want to say happy, but just that he grows into the person that he wants to be. And I don't have any expectations of what he'll do with his life, but that I will support him with whatever he wants to do and that he will feel supported to have the courage to stay true to who he is right now. Because I think we come into this world knowing who we are and then society tells us that we're somebody else, that we're a good girl, that we need to meet these expectations, that we're an A grade or that that yeah, we're whatever grade we get, we're whatever job we do. And that's not who we are. And then we spend our thirties, forties trying to figure out who that person was that we came into the world as being. And I know that my son is still so close to who he is and I want him to stay there. And it's my job to hold the boundaries that against society that that they're not going to try to turn him into something else that he gets to just stay true to himself so I think that would be my definition of success as a parent beautiful you mentioned at the very start that you do a mix of homeschooling and schooling what does that look like and why did you make that choice well I read about I done so I done EC and bed sharing and I was breastfeeding. And then I remember reading about unschooling. I think I might've been reading Peter Gray's work at the time. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, this is just taking it too far. Like (laughs) I value education. This is taking it too far. But like most things, half an hour later, my curiosity was just, just got the better of me. And I wanted to learn more and more about self-directed learning and really about is the education system serving our children well? And so I dove right into that and got an understanding of what the difference is between school and learning and what the education system was set up to do at the time. 
and tried to figure out how that would go with my son. Like I did really well at school. I was, if you talk about success, I was fine. I was, I was always got really good grades. I got into a good university. I I studied a great course. And so I never had a problem like that, but I learned pretty early on how to pass a test and how to get good grades. Didn't necessarily mean that I was learning a hell of a lot. So yeah, the curiosity side of me just really wanted to understand how do kids learn best. And so when my son was little, we went to Montessori. When he was about 18 months, I started taking him to Montessori. I was really interested in that. We ended up at a, we did that for a while. Then we went to a Waldorf Steiner school when he was about three and a half, four, like just a mum, mum and kid morning that we went along to. And none of those particular places, I love Waldorf and I love Montessori, but the particular locations that they're in just wasn't going to work for us. So we were going to look at just doing homeschooling. And then I found this homeschooling co-op, it's called, which is a school that just runs three days a week. And it was on this island, which is extremely inconvenient (laughs) for where we were living. So we had to, well, we had to get up 20 minutes to the ferry, hop on the ferry, hop on a 20 minute ferry, and then come to the school. As the principal said, you can register as a homeschooler and just completely homeschool, or you can come along to an art class on a Friday and see what you think of it. So we did that for kindergarten and loved it. Kids, just like 14 kids in a class. And it was great. And then one of the kids moved over the winter. So they said, you can have two days a week. And so we started coming two days a week. And so we were commuting over and then COVID hit. A few different things happened in our life. We ended up deciding to sell our house and a block of land became available on the island. So we moved over and we're building a house at the moment. So my son goes to this homeschooling co-op, which is two or three days a week, whatever he feels like. If he doesn't feel like going, he doesn't go. And then we homeschool the rest of the time. So that's sort of the long answer to that question. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Now let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. What book would you choose? Now this can be on any topic, but one book, what would it be? Oh gosh, that's a hard question. The books that I've been reading recently are not like I read Glennon Doyle's Untamed, which I just loved, but I don't know if I'd put that in the in the hands of high school students. It's a very good book. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Well, maybe we can pop that in there for the 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Talk to me about how your day looks. I love hearing about people's routines and rituals. Can you talk to us about how your day flows so that you set yourself up for a successful day? I don't know if I've got that down pat yet. So (laughs) I would say, well, we're a bit like you where we tag team things. So my husband and I both work from home And we tag team it with our son. It depends on whether he is going to school that day. So he goes on a Monday and a Wednesday and a Thursday or whether he's at home. But generally I get up, I make a, I have grapefruit juice every morning that I make fresh and then I make a nourishing breakfast 
and I'm normally working in the morning. So I normally do most of my work in the morning and I go for a walk normally mid morning around 1030 or something. I'll go for a, go for a walk. I might go down to the beach. We live on an Island so I can walk to the beach from here. And then normally around midday, I'm tag teaming with my husband and spending the afternoon with my son. And depending on what the season is, it's coming into spring and summer here, which is nice. So we'll start to get out on his kayak again and go for a swim and get on the paddleboard and do that sort of stuff or go for a hike. Or if it's the middle of winter and it's tipping down with rain outside, then maybe we're staying home and having a movie afternoon or doing a bit of homeschooling or something like that. And then my husband normally finishes work around 5, 5.30 and we have dinner together. Lately, we've been playing a lot of card games. So we play a lot of cards before we go to bed. <laughs> He's eight. So yeah, we get to play a bit more before bed and, and not worry so much about what the specific bedtime is. But yeah, that's that's how most of my days go. And then they can also go completely out the window like yesterday when I had to go into the city to go and buy soccer cleats and just have to skive off work for the day. (laughs) Oh, that's so beautiful. We did card games for many, many, many years and they were so much fun and we did charades. So after dinner, we always played games when Leo was with us and it was so much fun. So enjoy because then they get to the age where they're like, I don't want to play games anymore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or you have a baby and it's all about, bath time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it changes so fast, but yeah, it, it is often things like, you know, your child is, I think that's one of the things that can kind of bring you back. Like when your kids ask you again, like, can you come and play this? Can you come watch this? Can you come and do this? And you're like, Oh God, I, again, again, again. And sometimes I think that, Oh, one day he's not going to ask me, like, I got to go do it now. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. So soak it up in that moment. Yeah. Okay, I've got three rapid-fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. What's one of the most important things that we can do for our health? Wow, that's, yeah, that's huge. I think one of the most important things, I think mental health is really important right now. I think the last two years has taken a huge toll on people and on society and on our connection with one another. So I think... I think one of the best things we can do right now is anything that we can do to focus on mental health. And for me, it's really trying to get into a regular meditation practice. So yeah, that would be it for me. I could say lots of things like drink water, have some lemon juice in the morning, like do exercise, all that stuff. But for me right now, what I'm feeling is that I really need to support my mental health. Mm, Absolutely. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Yeah, I I love that word abundance over scarcity, isn't it? And I think so often we we sort of focus on the scarcity thinking we've got to we've got to hold on to everything for ourselves, but I think probably my answer to that lies in your question, which is just being as generous as we can with our time, with helping those around us, with not focusing on what we don't have, but just focusing on where we want to get to and really just inviting abundance into our lives. Yeah, beautiful. 
And what is one of the most important things we can do for more love in our life? I think just being really accepting of everyone around us. I think there's so much diversity in our world and really accepting all of the diversity around us and putting love out into the world. I think I think that's probably my answer, like putting love out into the world so that we receive it back. But not with the intention of receiving it back, like I'm putting all this love out, like why aren't I getting like but just putting it out without any expectation. And yeah, whatever your your love language is, like you talked about love languages earlier, you know, with our families and stuff, figuring out what theirs are and communicating to them through their love language. But yeah, I think just putting as much love out as we can into the world, I think we all need that right now. Mm, 100%. We can all do with more love, giving more love and sharing more love. It's so powerful and really makes such a difference. So thank you for sharing that. And I want to personally thank you so much for everything that you share, for all of the love that you give to everyone, all of the resources that you have created, the ebooks, the programs, the courses, the summits, everything you're giving and you're supporting so many people. So thank you so much. And I want to know what I and the listeners can do to give back and serve you. Oh, thank you so much. And nothing there there is there is nothing that needs to be given back i just i do this because i want to contribute to making a better world i think yeah i i think if we can raise a generation of children that are more connected to each other and to the planet then we're putting ourselves in the best position to move forward as humanity. I think we've stuffed a lot of things up and and it's time to break a lot of cycles. And if I can play a small part in doing that, then that's, I'm passionate about this and I love what I do. And all of the comments and emails and messages and things that I get back when I hear that I have had an impact on parents and on, on families and on their relationships with their kids, it makes it all worth it for me. Mm, beautiful thank you so much for being here for sharing today for all the work that you do you are such a treasure thank you so much tracy oh thank you for having me so many beautiful potent reminders and especially for me that we are modeling to our children every moment they are watching us they are soaking it in They are like sponges. And we need to ask ourselves is the way that we are showing up, is the way that we are speaking worthy of imitation? Is it worthy of modeling? I know some of my behavior definitely isn't worthy of imitation at times. So it's really inspired me to be even more intentional with my words and my actions. And I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you. I love connecting with you. Please come and share with me your biggest key takeaways from this episode. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. 
for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.